welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. In our conversations about body image, fitness, nutrition, and everything else involved with our bodies, it can be so easy to get caught up in the hypothetical of it all while still struggling to make any lasting and tangible changes to our relationship with our bodies. And I know that this has happened to me all too often. To start this episode, I want to share an example. Here's an experience that my friend Natalie Madsen had. And I know a lot of you have heard of different fitness challenges online. Maybe it's a don't eat this for 30 days challenge, or it's a do this, maybe push-ups every morning challenge. Well, Natalie decided to put one of these challenges to the test. So um, we were reading the book, More Than a Body, and I think pretty early on in the book, it mentions someone went a month without mirrors. She went a whole month without looking into a mirror. And I thought that sounds so hard and incredible all at the same time. And I was like, hey, I think I want to do one. I want to try that, like a version of it. That's not insane and means that I have to change my whole life. But I wonder what it would be like to kind of reset and not look in a mirror as much as we normally do every day. Um, So that was just kind of the idea behind it. Um, my, my original thought was maybe I could do a week, and then I thought, okay, maybe a few days. Tell me why it was so hard. Well, it was like, it was one of those things where I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this no mirror challenge, it's gonna be great. Like, I love doing challenges, I love doing, like, it's gonna be fine. And I remember talking to you about it, and then like the next day, all of a sudden, I'm looking around and I'm like, huh, there's, yeah, there's a mirror hanging on my wall. Oh, and there's a rear view mirror when I look and and kind of when I when I check behind me when I'm driving, I also check like my lipstick <laughs> and then like, oh, and like we use our phones and we scan our faces to unlock things. Is that so a- does that mean that's a mirror? <laughs> yeah. I was like, all of a sudden, like I just became aware how much you catch your reflection every single day. Like you're going to the doctor's office and there's a glass wall and you check your hair in the reflection. It's just instinct. You don't even realize it. And so even as I was preparing, like I said, I was like, I could do a week without a mirror, no problem. Then all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait a minute. I am a fitness instructor. I use mirrors all the time. Oh, wait a minute. Oh yeah, can I, can I drive? Can I, oh, but then I have that thing and I want to be able to like do my makeup and I wear contacts. Can I put my contacts in without a mirror? You know, all that, like all of a sudden it kind of started unravel of like, oh wait, <laughs> this would kind of mean, this is like a, you'd have to be very, very vigilant to not do a mirror. And so I set out to do, I'm going to try one day and maybe I'll roll over into day two if I'm, if it's working. Natalie's experience might sound familiar, even if you haven't ever tried a no-mirror challenge. Maybe you, like me, will, for example, listen to a podcast about body image. Or maybe I read an inspiring book and I'll feel energized and motivated to make changes in my life. I know that I want to improve my body image and I feel a drive to do so, but then when it really comes down to the details, all of a sudden, it becomes much more daunting. And I'm saying something like what Natalie said, I'm just gonna try one day. And then if it goes well, maybe I'll roll it over into day two. Here's how the rest of Natalie's experience went. 
it ended up being an insane day. Like, just the universe was against it, I guess. I don't know. So I decided to do a Saturday. You know, I didn't really have any plans, nowhere to be. I can be home. I don't have to drive a bunch of places. I can just kind of take down all the mirrors in my house or cover them up and just kind of live a day at home. You know what I mean? Sounds great. Yeah. And um, so this was Saturday. And on Friday, my little five-year-old had a tummy ache. She came home sick from school. I didn't really think much of it. Well, Lisa, fast forward (laughs) to Saturday afternoon, and I am in the emergency room. She's getting a CT scan. She has a ruptured appendix. While this is definitely an extreme case, I know that when it comes down to actually making lasting changes to our body image, it can feel like life is working against us. Whether it's a ruptured appendix or a clever advertising campaign or an offhanded comment from a stranger, real day-to-day life seems to be constantly chipping away at whatever progress we make towards loving and taking care of our bodies. I hope that at some point during this body image series, you felt that inspiration to act, to make changes in your life that will help you have a healthier relationship with your body. But I also know that once we've hit that turning point and made the decision to do things differently, it isn't happily ever after. It's going to take a concentrated and intentional effort to make these changes stick. And that's what we're talking about in today's episode of The Lisa Show. Now, later on, you're going to hear some inspiring stories from people who have worked through seemingly impossible struggles and have done the work to love their bodies long-term. But first, I talked to founder and director of The Body Positive, Connie Subcheck, about what makes this so difficult. Well, I think one of the things that's really a big problem is this quote unquote, war on obesity and that everybody's so afraid of fat, whatever size we are, everyone's afraid of fat and everybody is, you know, afraid of getting fat. So everybody's very anxious and we're teaching children to be anxious about fat. And what we're not doing is honoring that bodies come in different shapes and sizes naturally and looking at the ancestors that we come from all the way back, whether we know them or not, to see that we come from a long line of people and how can we honor that it's about how we care for our bodies. It's not about what we look like to be healthy. So that's one side of the equation. And then there's the whole beauty side and we've linked the two together. So beauty and health seem to be linked together in terms of what a healthy body looks like is also what a, what a you know, quote unquote, beautiful body looks like. And that's very, very thin. That connection between beauty and health that Connie is describing is something that I've run into over and over again throughout this season. Society is constantly telling us that the main way to determine health is how quote-unquote beautiful we look. And that just doesn't work for almost anybody. But of course, just knowing that our health isn't determined by our beauty is only the first step. Even after we've figured it out, it'll still be an uphill battle to create lasting change. I wanted to talk to someone who had done this, not only realized that things weren't healthy, but had then spent the time to build a resilient and healthy body image. So I talked to Jess Spinner, a former professional dancer who is now a holistic health coach about her story. 
I was 14 years old and, you know, I had been dancing in a more pre-professional setting just since I was 12. So I was relatively new to it. And in ballet, a big part of dance training is to go away to summer intensives. And so I had gone away to my first summer intensive away at 14 and being in a whole new environment and eating differently and definitely eating more. Like my friends actually had really lovely mentalities around food where they were eating freely and abundantly and we were dancing a lot. So I said to myself, well, I'm dancing more than I ever have before. So it makes sense that I'm eating more food. And I also hadn't gone through puberty yet. And I ended up gaining weight over the course of that summer as should be expected in that age range, right? When you are still changing and developing and all of that. And when I came back to my home dance studio, my ballet teacher just kind of tapped me on the thigh and said, that wasn't there before. And so it was kind of, yeah, it was like a shocking moment to me. I was in that instance, I can really put myself back into that experience quite vividly. And I remember feeling like shame and guilt and embarrassment. And I didn't say anything to anyone about it. But I decided that I needed to go on a diet because obviously something was wrong with my body and I should have, I should be smaller. And it took me from that point on a very, you know, dangerous path of really ordered eating habits and very negative body image throughout the remainder of my dance journey, which really went until my, you know, like mid to late 20s. It stole so much joy from that experience and really put me in a place where I struggled to focus on, you know, perhaps what I needed to work on as a dancer because I was just so fixated on my body. I asked Jess if she was still able to find bright moments amidst her body image struggles. Here's what she said. I definitely had moments of joy. I know, and I had moments of joy, especially in performing. And I hear that a lot actually from dancers who are struggling with body image where the only time they're really enjoying themselves is when they're on stage because there's no mirrors. So you don't have that, you know, constant reminder that perhaps you're not super happy with your body or how it looks. And so on stage, I felt a lot of freedom and a lot of joy. And then I definitely had moments of it in the studio. And I know I also had moments where I was able to, you know, work on some things technically. It just was never with the same degree of focus that I know I had before that incident when I was 14. And also it really made it hard to keep any focus, you know, after that point on the things that you wanted to be working on and focusing on as a dancer. And even on the joy, you know, like I said, it was kind of, it was much more fleeting than consistent. Jess told me about how, after years of professional dance and struggling with an eating disorder, she suffered a serious injury that forced her to take time away from dance and to eat a more consistent diet. It was while she was on this hiatus that she hit her turning point. She knew that something was wrong and that something needed to change. I went and applied for a retail job. And it was a seasonal thing over the holidays. And so it was like, you know, very part-time hours, but I ended up getting the job and it was at Lululemon. So, you know, like yoga clothes, yoga pants, and it was all 
other women in a similar age range working in this job. And I connected with them quite quickly. And I just stopped dancing. I had been going, like I said, six days a week. And then I got this job and I just stopped. And I kind of didn't look back for a while. And I did a lot of yoga and it started to allow me to connect to my body in a very different way where I was taking yoga in studios that didn't have mirrors, which I highly recommend. I don't think yoga studios should ever have mirrors, but I I was able to start to develop a sense of gratitude for my body slowly, slowly over time. And that was where the shift started. As Jess continued building that gratitude for her body, she became more and more passionate about building healthy body image. She eventually decided to start coaching other dancers to help them love themselves in a way that she hadn't while she was dancing professionally. What I wanted to know from Jess was, okay, so she slowly built up a love and gratitude for her body and what it could do. But what does that actually look like? How does one actually go through that difficult process? And while in her case, she was able to quit dance and remove herself from the difficult situations that were hurting her body image, how does she help the people who can't, who still have to be around toxic environments every day? It takes a lot. It's it's constant work. I mean, and I say that I say work, but I like to think that, you know, there's there's certainly joy in the process as well because they do start to have these sort of aha moments or or huge shifts. You know, I mean, this is truly something that makes me feel so honored and grateful for the work that I I do, but I've literally had dancers say to me, you know, this has changed my life, like doing this work and changing the way that I view myself in dance. And so, yeah, like I said, it's a process and it takes time. And when I work with dancers, like the minimum starting point is six months of weekly calls because it's been ingrained usually from such a a young age, this negative thinking pattern. And if you want to shift that, there's going to have to be time and repetition and various processes to go through in order to actually create that shift. I asked the same question to Connie about what this process looks like for the people she's worked with. Here's what she had to say. First of all, it's a process. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. And it's never going to be something that's going to be perfected. And I think that there's this idea that we can come to this place of self-love or loving our bodies in a way, I will always love my body. I will never have a negative thought again. And I think that's part of this perfectionist culture. So putting that down, it doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. To honor that we're part of a culture that has so many forces and so much money behind us feeling badly about ourselves. I know I've talked about it on the show before, but that perfectionism that Connie mentioned has been a struggle for me. Ironically, in preparing this series on body image, I thought, okay, this is the time where I really, really get it right, where I sort of fine-tune everything. I think I have a pretty okay body image, but there's certainly things that I can work on. Again, I was trying to be perfect in the way that I was (laughs) fixing my body image. 
in that process, I became really, really frustrated easily. In fact, we talked about it a lot in the office with my other producers, and we talked about how focusing so much on your own body image had made us become aware of, ironically, our imperfections and had brought up new struggles for us. So I've had to take a step back and realize that this is an ongoing struggle and that part of healing and having a good positive body image is acknowledging that all of those around you are struggling as well. It's not just that we are experiencing this in a vacuum individually. I asked Connie for her advice on the struggle of failing and trying to get back on the horse, so to speak. Just honor and and find humor in that, right? We live in a perfectionist culture, so this is what we've been taught. We've been taught that we're supposed to be perfect at everything, and if we if we fall down, you know, it's a horrible thing. You know, what? It, it, that's what life is. Life is constantly trying things out and seeing what happens, and then going from there. So self love isn't something that we perfect, but self-love, for me, I think of it as these arms around me. So like even on the rough days when I'm having a hard time, and I mean, I have to say my critical voice is not as strong as it used to be because of doing this work. So over time, I've learned how to work with it. I think when I learned to see my critical voice as a little child that needed attention, it made such a difference. So instead of like, when my daughter was little, when she had a tantrum, did I want to deal with it? No, but I did because I loved her. So with my critical voice, it's just a little part inside of me that's afraid of something. And so I turn to it with kindness and be like, oh, you're afraid. What are you afraid of? And usually there's something that's come in from the outside, like, this is hard. And I'm afraid that you're going to expose yourself and you're going to be humiliated or whatever it is, you know, that my critical voice, it usually is around humiliation or shame in some way that it's bringing up trying to protect me and trying to perfect me in order to protect me. And so when I turn to it with love, it's kind of like wrapping my arms around it and holding it and just being like, oh, you're afraid. That's okay. That's all right. All right. What is it you're afraid of? And then when you when we can do that, then we get to the place of what is it that we really need? Oh, I need I need to feel calm or I need to feel effective. I need to feel like I have agency. I need to feel like I'm competent. You know, all these different things that are more basic needs. And then we can look at that and think about why we're not feeling that way. And then the work is just to allow ourselves to say we don't have to change. We can just feel that way right now. So, so giving ourselves these, wrapping these arms of love around ourselves, when we don't, you know, even when we're beating ourselves up, I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's a bad day. I'm going to get through it. I love what Connie is describing. And I feel like it's truly the key to this whole conversation. Instead of looking for some universal trick or hack or challenge that will allow us to love our bodies forever, we just need to start with baby steps. If I can just be a little bit kinder to myself today, then tomorrow that kindness will come a little bit easier. And the next day, maybe that kindness will start turning into true self-love and so on and so on but it doesn't have to change all at once. And what's both beautiful and difficult about learning this self-love is even when we feel like we've got it figured out, life will throw something new at us and I'll have to continue to choose that kindness and love again and again. 
I'll always have to pivot and adapt as new things change. I talked about these changes with the Council of Moms, consisting this week of Emily Campbell and my little sister, Gina James. Here's what they had to say. As we get older, whether or not we have an autoimmune or foot surgeries or whatever, like we just realize we have to accept, we have to be all about body acceptance because it's out of our control sometimes, right? There's just different adjustments that we have to make throughout our life. And I think if we can recognize that and make peace earlier with that so that when each adjustment comes, it's not like this gigantic yeah. lesson that you have to learn every right. few years. And maybe some people have to learn that way. But I think that's one way we can help each other is just to talk openly about it and and the changes that we have to make and the things we have to do and how we feel. Like, I don't feel any less that my body is such a gift. And I just love that I'm able to experience life with senses and with, you know, with good food. Right. <laughs> and with it's movement and with you know, walking in the mountains and, you know, all the different ways that we can experience, you know, the beauty of the earth in our body. I mean, that sounds really kind of ethereal or something. But I think that's one of the great things that we can do with our bodies. And how great yeah. is that? As we were talking about letting go of control, I realized it really is kind of awkward doing this series on body image when I will fully admit that I still struggle with it. I want to get back to what I used to look like and and how I used to feel and what I used to weigh and how fast I used to run and all of those kinds of things when I realize that our bodies change and grow and life doesn't work that way. And I don't want to continue on that path of always wishing for something that is never going to come to pass and beating myself up for unrealistic standards that are in the past instead of in the future. And even though I know this, and even though I I believe what these vulnerable guests have come on and shared with me on The Lisa Show and in this series about body image, it's still really, really hard. And I will still have bad body image days, even though I have the principles of self-love, of compassion, of empathy that I freely give to other people, it's still hard to give it to myself. As I looked back on the conversations that I've had for this episode, I noticed that one tool for making changes that stick came up over and over again, choosing who you surround yourself with. Here's how Connie explained it. So think about the massive forces in place to make us feel badly about ourselves. So I think it's really important to remember that every day. So then the key thing for me is for people to find others to create community. Connie explained to me that a lot of the work she does at her company, The Body Positive, is intended to bring people together with one goal. Talking, talking to people, bringing it up, having conversations about, how do you feel? Do you like this? Do you want to live like this? Or I'm choosing to try these new things. What about you? How do you feel when you're stuck in all of this? How do you feel about hating yourself? So things like that, like starting to talk. I mean, I think that one of the key things that keeps us all in this place of thinking something's wrong with us is isolation. And that's how we oppress people, is keeping them isolated. And so a key piece of our work is breaking the isolation, talking about this taboo subject of our bodies and freedom. Oh. 
As we navigate the changes that life throws at us, it's clear from Connie's description that we won't be able to maintain a healthy body image alone. We need to find places where we can talk about our struggles, be vulnerable, and be validated in our difficulties and desires. I want to share with you one more story of resilience, of community, and of building a resilient sense of self-worth over time. Gabe Hansen is a professional actor and model, and he told me how he battled with body image growing up. So, I was born in Brazil. Um, my mom, she left me at the hospital and I was sent to an orphanage. Um, and I grew up there from about, like, till I was about three. And I was flown to the U.S. and I... Um, I actually did a lot of surgeries and stuff at Shriners Hospital for Children because I have cerebral palsy. So I walk with a little bit of a limp. It's a little different than other people. Um, and then I was put back up for adoption when I was five, not by any fault of their own or mine. And I grew up in and out of foster care from five to 11. I got readopted again when I was 11. And then I was with them they put me back in foster care when I was 12 because I had so much anger issues, so much anger at the world and, like, negativity, and they couldn't figure out how to help, how to best help me. Growing up in, like, elementary school and junior high and high school, if somebody would make fun of my limp, I'd beat the crap out of them. Some people, like a lot of the different foster homes and stuff, they didn't really know how to, like, deal with a disabled child, you know? And so it was like they would be like, oh, if you can't do this, it's okay. Or it's okay if you can't do this. Or you don't have to do this or whatever and try and make up excuses for me not to do certain things. But it's like, no, I'm going to do it. You know, it might take me a little bit longer, but I'm going to figure out how to do it. It might look weird. It might be comical, but I'm going to do it. So I kind of was mad at them for being like, it's okay if you can't do this because it's like, I want to do it. I don't want to be treated any differently. So I hated people being kind to me because I just felt like I didn't deserve it. And I just felt like if they were being kind to me, they were belittling me, you know? And I was like, no, I'm just like everybody else. I asked Gabe about when he felt like he had hit a turning point with his attitude towards himself and towards others. It was about the fourth grade. I just had a leg surgery, so I had two casts down my legs, and I had a little walker. And it was about the fourth grade or third grade, I don't remember, somewhere around there. And I was trying to play basketball um, at recess. And, like, there was a bunch of kids making fun of me, saying, no, you can't play basketball, you can't, you suck, you know. And actually, a teacher, his name was Barry Hansen, he came out and he started playing basketball with me. And so every day at lunch for the rest of the year, we went out and we played basketball together. And it's the little things in life that make the biggest difference. Growing up in foster care and stuff like that, um, you're always angry at the world. You're always looking for negativity. You're always expecting the negative. And it just reminded me that there's still good people out there, you know, and I could become one of those good people. You know, I can help others. I can serve other people. It doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, because I'm going to help them. All it took was one sincere and committed person to help Gabe start on the path towards feeling emotionally healthy. Something as simple as playing basketball on a playground helped Gabe turn the corner and start seeing a brighter path for himself. Gabe went on to explain that the most important part of his body image journey was cutting off contact with many of the people that he'd grown up with. He made the hard choice to end friendships and to seek out new ones in order to fill his life with the support he needed. 
I asked Gabe how he stays positive on a day-to-day basis, even when things get really discouraging. Honestly, it's hard to stay positive, you know, especially in today's world with all the distractions and all the, you know, negativity out there. It's hard to stay positive and look for the positive side of things. But I have a lot of friends that struggle with, like, depression and mental health and stuff, and I always tell them, I'm like, okay, I'm going to text you every day and ask you, what is something positive that happened today? Because if you just start looking for the positive, you'll start to find it. Because before, I would always look for the negative. You know, growing up in foster care, I'd always look up, look for unsafe situations or things that looked, you know, out of place because it was a protective factor. And so I would always look for the negative and expect the negative. But if you're just out there looking for, you don't necessarily have to look for the positive, but if you're just expecting the positive, if you're just in that positive mindset, you don't have to be looking for it, but it'll happen. You know, if you just surround yourself with positive people, then that helps a lot. Now, I know many people will say, it's not that easy. I can't just start being positive and forget about everything bad that's going on. But I contend that's not what Gabe is saying. Gabe, just like Connie mentioned earlier, is suggesting that we start with baby steps. We start by being a little more kind to ourselves, kind to those around us, and give just a little more grace. And over time, as we build a community of support and love, that grace will turn into resilient self-love and positivity. We don't have to do it alone. We can't do it alone, but we can do it. Connie described her vision of hope for the future, for us as individuals and for society as a whole. I just want people to think about how do you want to live your life? Do you feel happy if you're obsessed all the time with every single thing you put in your mouth and feel guilty and shameful about what you're doing and and the obsession with it all and thinking if you have a little bit of flesh on you that you're ugly and what would happen if we all just said no thanks to that? And that's what I had to do. And that's what I did on my own. And then that's what we teach at The Body Positive is how do you want to live your life? What is important to you? And do you want to follow along with everybody who's obsessed constantly about what they look like? That's fine. I'm not here to judge. I'm not at all. But I have been free since I was 21 and it feels so good. And it doesn't mean I don't struggle, right? I mean, I'm part of this culture and now I'm in my 60s. And so I have to, you know, deal with all the stuff around aging and my body's changing constantly now and learning to love it as it changes and gets old is is a, is a challenge and because of where we live and because of this, you know, the human thing around that we're, again, supposed to fix ourselves. So it's a constant thing, but I choose to love myself and I choose to love this body that gives me life. As we conclude this series on body image, I hope that you feel inspired and empowered to make the same choice, to love yourself and to love your body in whatever stage of life and shape it may be in. And if love feels impossible, I hope you feel empowered to start small. Start with a little kindness and grace and build slowly from there. Before we go, All season long, I've been asking guests to share with me things that they love about their bodies. 
As you listen to their responses, I hope this will serve as a reminder that your worth is divine, eternal, infinite, and will always be that way, independent of what society says you need to look or act like on the outside. I love my eyes because they are deep and thoughtful. My hands, I broke my hand and it was really hard to function when I didn't have a hand. So I am just so grateful that I have hands that can do things. I have really nice nail beds. If we're gonna get shallow here, I, I have really healthy nail beds. I've been working really hard on it. I like that I have relatively long legs for a short person. <laughs> I love my feet because just you know that coziness you get when you're wrapped up in your blankets in the morning oh, yeah. and you just kind of stick your foot out just to test the air <laughs> and you draw it back in. I love how my feet just are cute and a little shy of coldness. I like that my body has given me three beautiful children, being pregnant, breastfeeding, and uh, that's all thanks to my amazing body. My belly with stretch marks and C-section scars because it has been the place where I've been nourished and also the place where I've brought new life into the world. I had braces twice and my teeth still moved back, but I love my smile. Even though it can feel wonky sometimes, I know that when I smile, I can help other people feel loved. I feel like I'm pretty strong. And I've sort of had to force myself to become that way. Not just, not just mentally, but physically. I love my arms because they are able to give hugs to my children and carry bags of groceries and pet my dog. <laughs> I actually love that I'm tall, which I didn't like growing up, but I love that I'm tall. We have tall cabinets and I can reach them. Experiences my body allows me to have, it helps me be alive. It allows me to experience life and there's no greater gift than that. Lisa's show is a production of BYU Radio. It's hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by McKay Menden, Becca Hurley, Tabitha Freitas, Michael Combs, and Kaya Dibb, with help from Book Soldani and music and post production from Sam Clausen and Josh Fouts. We hope you've enjoyed our series on body image. If you know anybody who might benefit from hearing our conversations about bodies and self-love, make sure to tell them that our entire series is now available wherever they listen to podcasts. And make sure you check out Lisa's book club on YouTube where every week Lisa and guests talk about Lexi and Lindsay Kite's More Than a Body chapter by chapter.